Good morning, Willow Hills. The righteous remnant, we're not afraid of a little bit of snow. We're Minnesotans. Come on, now, are. A little bit of snow doesn't keep us away from the house of God. But we are going to give, like, let's say 20 indulgence points just because you made the effort. And it was pretty snowy out there. It's still going on, so good for you. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm a teaching pastor here. Really good to see all of you. If you're here for the first time, I'll give a special welcome to you. Glad that you're here. Uh, let me explain these. Um, so I've got, uh, I'm on two different medications, one for ADHD, one for these gross that I, or my family gets. And um, uh, both have the same side effect, which is I get cold hands. And what else have that? You get cold hands. It gets below 70 degrees. And so uh, I, I like to keep these on. They're nice and snuggy. They're nice and warm. It, and it looks maybe a little unusual, but I'm not trying to make a fashion statement. I'm just trying to stay warm. This is Minnesota, you know. It can even happen. It's really weird, but like I'll take off my shoes because my feet get hot really quick, but my hands get cold really quick. Why is that? So I can have hot feet, sweaty feet, and cold hands. Figure that out. That's a weird thing, fallen universe. So we're in a series here uh, that we're entitling when a uh, physicist uh, or a physicist and a priest walk into a bar. And uh, we're naming it that because it's on, it's on faith and science. A lot of people think that, that faith and science are incompatible, but we're here to say that they're not. Um, we think that they're, they're understood rightly. They're both perfectly compatible. It's a, it's a rather geeky series, and we, we said that going into this. We're kind of, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're known sort of as a geek nerd church to start with. We, we like to get into ideas. We you know, get intellectual like questions. You know, so it, it's, already, it's already got a high geek factor, but this series is, is upping the geek factor. Uh, and I just am saying that out loud in case you started visiting during the series, you might think that we're always like this. We're not always this bad. We're always bad, but never this, not, not this bad. And this message will be the worst. Okay, so this is going to be the geek, this gets the geek award. Um, okay, but I'm, I want to say this though, that it's, the reason we're doing this series, I mean, one of the reasons we're doing this series is because so many young people are walking away from the faith because they think that the faith is incompatible with rationality and with science and with logic and things like that. So obviously we need to be incorporating more of this in the church so that young people see that being a Christian doesn't mean you've got to check your mind at the door. Um, and so it's good that, we're, you know, that we have to think about this stuff. The other thing is that I don't put together these messages on my own. I don't put together these series on my own. I have a whole team of people around me, and, and they're the ones who wanted me to talk on the topics I'm going to be talking about today. So if you're a geek and love this stuff, I'll take the credit for it, but if you find this to be too over your head and boring, blame it on the team. They, they, they told me to preach on this stuff. But I think you'll find it interesting, and it's really important stuff, all right? Uh, we've been... I've been starting each message with a little bit of a joke. We finish off the, the a priest and a, and, a, and a physicist walk into a bar, and then what happens? And you've, you've submitted some very clever uh, ones. Uh, here's this morning's, and I came up with this morning's, and so it's especially special to me. So here, here's the thing. Like a lot of these jokes, uh, you don't get, you have to know a little bit of the science to get the joke. So if you know the uncertainty principle, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, you'll get this joke, maybe. If you don't know it, you won't get it. Don't worry about it. I'll explain it, I'll explain it after I'm done. So here's how it goes. It's not really a joke either. It's more like a, a rhyme or a Zen Cohen or something. So here, here's how it goes. A priest and a physicist walk into a bar, and they order a Heisenberg beer. The physicist knows how long the bartender takes, but the priest knows that the beer is near. Ha, ha, ha. ching. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, it was really bad. Okay. okay. So the whole point is that, see, in the Heisenberg principle, uh, you can either measure how fast the particle is going, or you can know where it is, but you can't know both at the same time. Or the more certain you are about the velocity, the less certain you are about the location, and vice versa. So the piece of the physicist walk in, they get a... Heisenberg beer, get it? The physicist knows how long it's taking, he knows the velocity, but the priest knows where it is. 
<laughs> okay, never mind. Okay, moving along, moving along. That was a total waste of time. Total waste of time. I thought it'd be a hit, but I guess not. Okay, too clever for my own good. Let's look at the same verse. <laughs> moving on. Let's look at the same verse that we looked at last week, but in a little different version. Jesus says this. When asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the part of that that we do the least good at doing and following through is the mind. He says, worship the Lord with all your mind. Now, the mind is made for thinking. And so the command here is to worship God with our thinking. Thinking is good. Uh, to, to, to think in ways that reflect the worth of the creator who gave you this, this reason is to think with integrity and to think with honesty and to think with boldness and to put the, the quest for truth above the quest for your own personal preference. It's to ask questions. It's to really investigate. It's to keep an open mind. And so we here at Woodland Hills really believe in the importance of doing that. And this whole series is really just a way of trying to worship God with our brain. We're going to buy, be, be thinking some deep thoughts here and thinking through some issues. And that's the way of, of, of uh, worshiping God. Um, and we, we, we want to be authentic. And we always think that these two things are compatible and they are, are of equal value. We want people to have a passionate faith and to passionately live out the kingdom and have a passionate love for God. But we also want people to be having an open mind. Don't turn into one of these butthead Christians who only knows what you believe and doesn't want to listen to anyone else. Have an open mind. Ask questions. We, we worship God with your mind by thinking. Think through issues. And those two things, I think, are, are compatible. You can do both at the same time. So that's what this whole series is about. So today I'm going to be looking at several arguments that I think are compelling against aspects of what's called the naturalistic worldview. Naturalistic worldview. Now the naturalistic worldview is simply the view that nature is all there is. It's naturalistic. It's the, it's the belief that only the physical universe is real. It's, it's the, the conviction that for every, every event that happens can be explained by something else in the universe. You never need to appeal to a supernatural explanation. It's the view that the universe is a closed system. Um, and that, so there's no outside supernatural God or angels or demons to, to break into the system. It's a system that, that everything is rigidly determined by cause and effect. And so for every natural effect, there is a natural cause. Um, it ultimately is the view that, that matter is all there is. Uh, it, events happen because matter acts on matter. So the naturalistic worldview ultimately is the view that everything in the end is a chemical reaction. At its bottom level, everything can be reduced to chemicals in action, molecules in motion, energy bumping into each other. Um, it's all chemical reaction. Everything you're seeing, everything you're thinking, everything you've ever thought, everything you're hoping for, everything you remember, everything, everything is a chemical reaction. That's it. Just a bunch of chemical reactions. Um, and so, so it, it, it's... it's that, that's, that, that's what's known as the, science, the, the naturalistic worldview, and it's often called the scientific worldview. And here's where the problem begins to arise. Because that's what gives people the impression that science is opposed to faith. The science, they think the scientific worldview is this godless world, this closed system world, this matter is the only thing that's real worldview. They equate science with that, and then come to the conclusion that it must be at war with Christianity, because Christianity involves the supernatural. The thing we've got to see is that this is all based on a misunderstanding. Science is not a worldview. Science is a method. Okay, so science arose, 15th, 16th, 17th century, as, as Christians, and science arose out of the Christian worldview. It's important to see this because um, these early Christians in the 14th, 15th, 16th century, 
it was their conviction that the world was created by an intelligent God and it has a rational structure to it. And we are made in the image of this rational God. It was that conviction that led to their being curious about the rational structure of nature. And they began to discover that nature has a mathematical quality to it. It operates according to mathematical principles. And if you learn those mathematical principles, uh, you have better control over nature. You can use nature to your own advantage. And that's, that's where all this technology of the last 300 years has come from. Now, the, the, those early scientists, all of whom were Christian, and were carrying out their science as a reflection of their faith in a creator, um, they hit upon this scientific methodology, which said that we will never appeal to supernatural explanations. The scientific methodology says that for every cause, you, for every natural effect, you assume there's a natural cause, which itself is a natural effect of a previous cause, and so on and so on and so on. That's the method. You, you look at the world that way. But it doesn't require you to believe that there aren't anything that exists outside of what the scientific method can measure. The reason they came up with this method is not because they didn't believe in God or angels or salvation or, or anything like that. They did believe in those things. It's just that you'll never know how far you can get understanding the world according to natural principles unless you refuse to stop looking for natural explanations. The minute someone says, oh, well, God did, God did that, you stop exploring. And so you'll never know if there is, in fact, a natural explanation for it. And so the scientific method is you're never allowed to appeal to any supernatural entities. Nothing that can't be analyzed according to its smaller parts and can be torn down and analyzed according to cause and effect. So you're not allowed to talk about a soul acting. You're not allowed to talk about God or angels or demons. But it doesn't mean that you can't believe in those things. If you've got reasons to believe in those things, you can believe in those things. It just means that those things lay outside the, the parameter of science, outside the domain of science. Science can't weigh in on that because its methodology is restricted to the natural world. Now here's what had, began to happen. That this, this, this way of looking at the world, asking the world mathematical questions and getting mathematical answers back and getting empowered to then control nature, it works spectacularly well. And the, the success of science in developing technology, it brought about a certain arrogance among some in the scientific community where the method became a worldview. They, they no longer were just saying that it lies outside of the method of science to, to be looking at God or angels or the soul or anything like that. They went further and said, if it lays outside the domain of science, it lays outside the domain of reality. Because now science defines reality. And they made the assumption, and that's all it is, is an assumption, that whatever is real is able to be analyzed according to science. Which means whatever is real can be broken down into its smallest parts. This is what's called reductionism. You, you, you analyze things according to its smallest parts, and in terms of cause and effect, and you try to explain everything that way. And they assume that everything that exists can be subjected to the scientific uh, uh, method. That is not science, folks. The statement, everything can be fit into the scientific method, is not itself a scientific statement. That is a statement of faith. That is metaphysics. You're making a confession of faith. You can't know that ahead of time. Uh, and so the, 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 the methodology is totally legit. The scientific worldview is totally illegit. Science isn't a worldview. That's metaphysics. Science is a methodology. And if you stick with the methodology, there's no conflict between science and Christianity. If you start going into this worldview thing, well, then there's a lot of conflict. So I'm going to look at one area of conflict um, that, that, that arises out of the naturalistic worldview. Uh, the aspect I want to look at, and I'm going to give five quick arguments against this aspect, it's, it's what's called determinism. Because in the naturalistic worldview, every cause is supposed to have a single effect, every effect a single cause. 
Even though, oddly enough, quantum physics has been pushing against that for 100 years now, because in quantum physics, you can have one cause giving rise to a number of possible different uh, effects, but science limits that and says our methodology will still be deterministic. So they come up with a deterministic worldview. So let's watch this little video from the Philosopher's Corner on what determinism is, and then I'll come up here and slam it. Copyright restrictions, we trim some content from this sermon. Please visit our website, whchurch.org, where we'll try to post a link to the material that we used. I am a free agent. I resist this analysis. I hate, I, I hate that, this idea that you can't make a free choice. I, if I choose to do this right now, or how about this? It was determined from the moment of the Big Bang, 13.7 billion years ago, it was determined that right this moment, right now, I would do this. I mean, you can't, whatever you do, you just, it's just billiard balls, it's just, it's, it's bats hitting balls, it's just chemical reactions, it's all going on, and uh, that is the state of things. It's just uh, determined. I have a, a guy that I've been talking with the last couple of years, a really nice guy, an open-minded guy, we've been having this debate, dialogue kind of thing. He, he's a nuclear physicist, and um, he used to be a Christian uh, when he was in his teen years, early 20s, but then as he got into graduate school studying physics, he lost his faith, and the reason was because... He came to the conclusion that, that, that free will is an illusion, that everything is determined. There is one cause for every effect, and so everything can be traced back to ultimately the Big Bang. There's no free will. And what he came to see is that if there's no free will, well, then there's no moral responsibility. If there's no moral responsibility, then there's no such thing as sin. If there's no sin, there's no need for a savior, and the whole Christian message falls apart. And so he, he just has this now belief because of this determinism. The question is, is does science require us to assume that determinism is true? Does it I, 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 I require that? Because if it does, and on the surface it, it may look like that, you're analyzing things in terms of cause and effect, and on the surface it does look like my friend is right. If, 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 if determinism is true, then we are just one domino in a virtually infinite series of falling dominoes. And the way we fall is completely determined by the previous domino, and the, the way things happen from here on is the way we determine... Uh, uh, subsequent dominoes. And so, who can be responsible for anything in this? Uh, it, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, we're all victims, really, if you think about it. Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Paul Poe, whatever, Ted Bundy, mass murderers, child kidnappers, people who take kids into sex. None of those people, they can't help it. They couldn't do otherwise. Given the flow of the universe, given the falling of the dominoes in this universe, they're all victims. Everybody's a victim. And our sense that people should be held responsible is a complete illusion. And we, we may still lock people up, but only to protect, the, protect society from them. It can't be to hold them responsible or accountable or, or to pay their dues to society. There can't be any such thing in a deterministic world. So I, I think my, my friend's absolutely accurate if, if, if determinism is true. Now, I told my friend uh, when he shared that he, why he, how he lost his faith, I said, you know, there are Christian determinists. Just because you're a determinist doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian if you've got all the reasons for, for believing in Jesus, and I can give you some of those reasons. But there's a lot of Christian determinists. They're called Calvinists. You could be one of those. And he said, well, the idea that God predestined everything, and yet we're responsible for what he predestined us to do, because that never made any sense to me. And I said, me either. I just thought I'd offer because it it's better than being an atheist. It's like, <laughs> I can't say it makes any sense. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an option if you wanted it. Okay. There's five arguments I'm going to offer against determinism here. Okay, so put on your thinking caps. Here we go. Number one, determinism confuses the scientific method with a scientific worldview. 
It just does. It makes sense that science would say we're going to operate with this functional determinism. We're going to look for a single cause for every single effect. That's good because you want to see how far, how far, how, you want to see how far down the naturalistic rabbit hole you can go. And you're never going to know how far you can go unless you, you rule out appealing to the supernatural. Got that. And, and science can't deal with souls. It can't measure souls. Science can only deal with what it can break down into smaller units and analyze in a deterministic way. So it can't analyze souls or things like that. But uh, um, the, the method's fine. But see, what happens is we, we take the restrictions of a method and we apply it on the world. Like, so because the, the, the methodology won't allow for anything supernatural, we assume the supernatural doesn't exist. And folks, I submit to you that that is just an arrogant, arrogant assumption. It's like the other, the other week I was out walking my dog back when it used to be warm. And, and uh, uh, I got the cutest little dog in the world, Gracie. She's a little Morky, a Maltese and a Yorkie. And she's so, so, so cute. And she's pretty smart as dogs go. But it occurred to me as I'm taking her off for a walk that, that Gracie doesn't have any conception whatsoever of trigonometry. She has no idea. It, it, it could never enter in her brain what math is. Uh, or she has no idea about laws of physics or about the universe, you know, what's out there. She had no, no conception at all. It's because her brain, well, very complex compared to an ant, her brain is limited. It, the physicality of her brain, because the brain is a physical organism, the physicality of her brain does not allow her to think abstract, logical thoughts. It's totally outside her, 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 of her purview. Now, made me wonder this. What is to me what trigonometry is to my dog? Because my brain's limited. Oh, it's more evolved than Gracie's, but it's still a very limited brain. It's a finite brain. It's only three and a half pounds. Um, what can't I conceive of? Because there's got to be things I can't conceive of. If Gracie can't conceive of trigonometry, I can't conceive of, well, if I knew what it was, I would be conceiving of it now, wouldn't I? But there's got to be things. So, so this, turning the scientific method into a scientific worldview is like Gracie turning a dog method into a dog worldview. Like if Gracie wanted to get arrogant one day and say, hey, you know what? I think that only things, the only things that are real are things that dogs can process and assess and analyze. So I, I, I don't think trigonometry exists because it's inconceivable to me. Well, that'd be arrogant for a stupid little dog to do. Would you agree? Well, it's just as arrogant. You guys, the gap, the gap between me and Gracie is microscopically between the gap in terms of intelligence level between me and an archangel or God. And so, so yeah, I'm a little bit smarter than Gracie, but compared to God, it's like you're still pretty stupid. And, and it seems to me humility, there's a lot of things science just can't get us, not everything can be broken down into the smallest units and analyzed according to its deterministic parts. When I'm looking at a, a sunset, folks, uh, I'm seeing beauty there, and that's not just chemicals in motion, sorry. The science may say that, but they can't get the Beauty can't be subjected to the, to the empirical method, and nor can love, nor can hope, nor can faith. Uh, and, 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 and even rationality and consciousness, uh, the, we have every reason to think that there are things that exist that the scientific method just can't get its brain around. We already looked at quantum physics and, and the singularity of the Big Bang. But what about God? And what about angels? And what about demons? I've got reasons to think those things are real. They're just not subject to the, to the scientific method. And I've got reasons to think that human souls are real, but they can't be subjected to the, science, the scientific method. If you stick with the method, everything's fine. But when you turn the method into a worldview, you've got a whole mess of things. It creates all sorts of problems. Determinism is the result of taking a deterministic method and now imposing it on all reality. And you just don't have good grounds for doing that. Secondly, Jesus refutes determinism. Now, he didn't have an argument where he says, here, I'm going to refute determinism. 
but he taught a lot of things that are inconsistent with it. For example, he always held people accountable. He, he called people to make choices. He always treats people like they're responsible agents. He says things like this in, Matthew, in Luke 13. He says, he's, he's announcing this, this prophecy coming over, over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Now, Jesus is the perfect revelation of what God is like. So this is the heart of God. And there's a judgment coming on, on Jerusalem, but God doesn't want it to come. God, judgment's never God's first preference. And his heart is breaking, in fact, and he says, I often want to gather you together. I want to protect you like children. I want to protect you like, like a chick does its hens. But you were not willing. You were not willing. And that tells you that God can will something, but if a human doesn't will it, it's not going to happen. Which tells you that God is not a coercive God, which tells you determinism is not real. People have got choices. And this is what you find throughout the Gospels. Sometimes in explicit ways, sometimes in implicit ways. For example, Luke says this in Luke 7. He says that the, the Pharisees and the lawyers, uh, because they wouldn't get baptized by John the Baptist, they were rejecting God's purpose for themselves. They were rejecting God's purpose for themselves. God had a purpose for them, but they said, no, thank you. Apparently, people have the power to say, no, thank you, to God's purposes. God can have a great plan for your life. It's not going to make any difference if you don't accept that plan. And so... The, the ministry of Jesus, I submit to you, refutes determinism, and that is enough to settle it for me. But let's, let's not stop there. Let's go on to the third one. Now, this argument is the toughest one, uh, but it's also, I think, the coolest one. So lean in on this. Put your thinking caps on, because I'm going to argue that consciousness refutes determinism. If you're conscious, you'll realize you can't be determined. Now, here's the thing. So whenever I meet a, a, a determinist, Hardcore determinist. I'm a pacifist, but I still have an incredible urge to slug them. I just want to hit them. I just want to hit them. Like, I would just love to just... Because what I'd love to do is to hit them and just say, ah, the Big Bang. Blame it on the Big Bang. You know, Big Bang, if you're an atheist. Or blame it on God if you're a Calvinist. Uh, either way, don't blame it on me. Because I'm just like... I couldn't do otherwise, given the universe or given God. I had to, Oh, boom, I had to hit you again. Sorry. But God's really mad at you today. Bam, 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 bam. The universe really doesn't like you. Bam, bam, bam. Why is it making me do this? I don't know. But then after that lesson, I would like to say, hey, you know, actually, I was just kidding. It was my own free will. The reason I did this was to show that I could hit you if I wanted to. And apparently I wanted to. But I didn't have to. So you refuted either way. Either you're right, in which case you can't blame me. Or you're wrong, in which case you still can't blame me. So either way, you're wrong. There you go. I like that. The bottom line is this, folks. We all, on, on some level, we know. You just know that, that you are a person who makes free decisions and that you could do otherwise and that you're more, morally responsible. This is, a, this is a fundamental datum of our experience. This is, this is what it is to be human. Uh, and so to explain it by dismissing it is not to explain it. This is what needs to be explained and you don't explain it by dismissing it. This is a fundamental reality. To say it's an illusion just doesn't cut it. It'd be like this. You know, we, don't know what, we don't yet know how consciousness comes about. How does matter become self-aware? And it really is an interesting question. Uh, here you are listening to me. You're aware that you exist, presumably, okay? Right? You exist? Everyone say, I exist. Okay, so you're aware that you exist. And, 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 and you're, you're, you're listening to me in here now. And, um, but we don't know how you, that three and a half pounds of noodles between your ear, which you are, how does it come to know itself? How, how, how do the chemicals popping in your brain produce self-awareness? We have no idea. 
But science assumes that you can break everything down to its smallest parts, and the smallest parts are always deterministic, cause and effect. And, 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 and so the assumption is that, that there's a deterministic process that gives rise to this, we just don't know, know what it is. But what if a scientist comes along and says, hey, you know what? Once you break down this, your, your consciousness to its smallest parts and analyze it in terms of cause and effect, you find out that consciousness is an illusion. And there are actually some neuroscience philosophers who are saying this. They use the word epiphenomenal. Uh, consciousness is epiphenomenal, which means it's not a primary re reality. It's a shadow of some other primary reality. It just gives you the illusion that it's a primary reality. So here's the thing. If you're going to say that my self-awareness is an illusion, then what is real? Because the only reality I have access to is my self-awareness. It's a fact. I'm self-aware. You can't tell me that this is not a fact. This is the one fact you, that is indisputable. You can say that I'm in a dream right now, fine, but I'm aware in this dream. I, I'm aware that I'm in this dream. So this is, can't be an illusion. This is the one fundamental reality. In fact, if it wasn't for this one fundamental reality that I know that I exist, I wouldn't be worried about any other reality because the only reason I'm worried about any other reality is because I'm aware that I exist. So this is the one slice of existence that I've got firsthand access to. To say this is an illusion is just wrong. I can't be aware of this and have it be an illusion. This is, what, this is the very definition of reality. This ought to be the standard against which other things are measured to be an illusion. So anything that tells me that I'm not self-aware is wrong. But now I want you to notice this. To be self-aware means you're aware that you're free. To be self-aware means you're aware that you are a decision maker. You have decisions to make all the time. Just a moment ago, you made a decision. Am I going to try to follow this train of thought or not? You make decisions all the time. And when you make those decisions, you assume it's up to you to decide them because there's no other way to make a decision. When you deliberate about a decision, you're acting on the assumption that it's up to you to make that decision. In fact, there's no way to make a decision such that you'll illustrate a belief that it's not up to you to make that decision, a belief that you're actually predestined to make a certain decision. You, you can believe that if you want, but you can't act on that belief. The only belief you can act on is that you're free. Okay, so, and that's part of your self-awareness. So if self-awareness is a fundamental datum that's unquestionable, uh, then if that's the case, then free will is a fundamental datum that's unquestionable. If, if free will is an illusion, then self-consciousness has got to be an illusion. And it's not an illusion because you've got it right there. The fact is right there. So I rest my case. Now, on top of that, think about this. How bizarre, weird, strange, absurd would it be to suppose that nature of its own natural processes and time and chance produced an agents like human beings who, at the very core of their being, they must act other than the way reality actually is. At the core of our being, we're decision makers. We have to act as though we're free. We act as though we're self-conscious and therefore act as though we're free. How weird that nature would create a being who has to act that way. There's no other way to act. And yet, turns out we're not free at all. We're determined. How odd that nature would produce a being who is so thoroughly self-deceived. And if we can be deceived about our self-consciousness and our free will, then what can't we be deceived on? What can we possibly trust in our brain if, in fact, we're deceived about being self-conscious and, 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 and being, having free will? Which we are if everything is determined. Could we trust our reasoning if, in fact, we're wrong about free will and consciousness? Why would we trust our reasoning process, which leads to my fourth argument? Determinism undermines reason, which is kind of odd because you have to use reason to get to determinism. Uh, a, a physicist in the last century, uh, J. Hald, Hald, Halden, uh, said this, um, 
if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, just balls colliding into one another, kind of that kind of thing, uh, I have no reason to suppose my beliefs are true, since atoms can't form true beliefs. And hence, I have no reason to, for supposing my brain is composed of atoms. So there's this circular, this circular argument here. If determinism is true, then how can I know anything is true because I'm being determined? I, I, I put it like this. I'll break it down into three premises and a conclusion really quick here. First premise is, according to natural, uh, the naturalistic worldview, everything is a chemical reaction. Right? We talked about that. Everything is a chemical reaction. That's all there is. Number two, chemical reactions don't have truth value. Chemical reactions are just chemical reactions. They're just events. Your stomach growled. Uh, you burped. Someone flatulated, it's whatever. That's a chemical explosion. But you wouldn't say to someone's flatulation, hmm, was that true? <laughs> or, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> That's a very argumentative flatulation you had there. You know, and, and no one, you, know, you don't argue with a sneeze or ask for the truth value of a hiccup or a thunderclap or the sound of a ball hitting a bat. I mean, there's no, truth isn't the issue there. It just happens. Events just happen. So if everything's in a chemical reaction, then, and chemicals reactions don't have any truth value, well then, well the third premise is this, then my brain, my thinking right now is a chemical reaction. If everything's a chemical reaction, it's like the guy said in the video, we're just part of nature, we're just part of physical nature, and everything's ultimately a brain state, and a brain state is a physical state. So, as I'm talking up here, I'm basically doing the same thing that a tornado does, or that the crack of a bat hitting a ball, or, or someone's stomach growling, I'm just a complex version of that. Which leads to this conclusion, my thinking right now has no truth value. Because my thinking right now is simply a burp. It's simply a hiccup. I, it has no truth value. Which leads to some really funky stuff here. Because that means if my conclusion is true, it's false. <laughs> it's like me sitting up here right now saying, hey, everything I'm saying right now is a lie. If I'm telling you the truth, well, then I'm lying. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm refuting myself. My thinking right now has no truth value. Is that true? It can't, because my thinking right now has no truth value. But notice this. I had to assume my thinking had truth value to arrive at that conclusion. I had to assume that my reasoning was valid to arrive at the conclusion that my, thinking, my reasoning isn't valid. So I presuppose the falseness of my conclusion in order to argue for its truth. How screwed up is that? Okay, th that's what's called a self-refuting statement. It's a necessary false statement, so it's contradictory must be true. Therefore, our thoughts must have truth value, and we must be more than chemicals popping. Amen? Uh, it, it, it's, it's a, yeah, you, 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 it's a self-refuting statement. I must be more than chemicals popping right now. Otherwise, I'm just burping. Why are you listening to me? Burp, burp. You assume that, I, I, that this has some truth value. You assume that, that what I'm saying makes some amount of sense. If determinism is true, however, see, even that guy, when he makes a statement, um, so there's no place for free will. Uh, this university, all mental states are, are brain states, and brain states are physical states, and physical states are determined. Well, if that's true, then that statement was just now determined. Which means that that statement right now is simply molecules bumping into one another, just burps, just thunderclaps. It doesn't matter how, how complex the thunderclap or the burp or the flatulent is, it doesn't matter how complex it is, it still has no truth value. It's just, it's just there. So the guy is just a popping. And so we have no reason to think that it's true. If determinism is true, we can never know it's true because we're determined. And determined things can't have any, any, can't have any truth value. Which leads to a third, my, my, my last argument. And this is the easiest one, but it's also the one I think you'll remember the best. And, and it might even be the most powerful one. It has to do with chance and purpose. 
It has to do with the fact that you can either trust something to be there on purpose, in which case you can have a, you can really have a purpose into it if it's there by design, or if it's there by chance, you can't trust it for having a purpose. So here's what I mean. Let's say that Mary Van Sickle and Steve Van Sickle are driving back from Florida because they go to Florida twice during every winter, and I always get jealous, so they're driving back. And uh, they're going through Iowa, and all of a sudden they come to this big hill, and on this big hill there are these boulders that spell out, Welcome to Minnesota. A bunch of built boulders with some decorations and flowers around it. Welcome to Minnesota. And Steve goes, oh, look at Mary. We're entering Minnesota. Oh, we're almost home. But what if Mary goes, Steve, you're such a moron. You don't even know your natural history. Why don't you know 50,000 years ago, there's these glaciers that were at the end of the last ice age, and these glaciers were receding back across North America, and they're just randomly dumping these boulders wherever you see them in Wisconsin, Dakotas, and Minnesota. Random rocks being dropped. And so 50,000 years ago, a glacier dropped those rocks. They're not there by any kind of design. So we don't know if we're in Minnesota or not. Now, Steve could, on one hand, say, well, honey, honey, didn't you listen to Greg last week when he said the higher level the order is, the less plausible it is to appeal to chance? Remember, you, you, you can explain two, two snake eyes in a row by chance, but you can't explain six in a row. There's some design going on there. So, honey, what are the odds that a glacier would happen to drop rocks in just this formation, complete with these flower beds around it, 50,000 years ago, and would happen to be right on the parameter of where Minnesota is. What are the odds of that? And that's kind of like the argument I gave last week about cosmic constants. And since the odds of this being right by chance in this one-shot universe uh, are, are virtually infinitely low, it's, it's, it's rational to appeal to a designer. Um, but there's even, an even more profound point to note about this, okay? And it's this. It makes sense for Steve, since he believes that those rocks were put there by design, it makes sense for him to trust that he's now, those rocks tell him that they're entering Minnesota. Because there's a mind behind those rocks, those rocks can do something the rocks ordinarily couldn't do. Namely, organize themselves to communicate stuff. Rocks don't do that. Unless there's a, divine, a, a mind that, that, that uses those rocks for that purpose. So it makes sense for Steve to say, oh, we're entering Minnesota because those rocks are communicating to us. And it makes sense for Mary though her view is rather improbable, but it makes sense for her to say, oh no, those rocks are here by chance, and therefore I don't know where we are. I can't say we're in, in, in Minnesota though, because those rocks are here by chance. What does not make any sense is if Mary were to say, those rocks are here by chance, and oh good, we're entering into Minnesota. She can't do that. If they're there by chance, they don't communicate squat to her. So if she's going to rely on those rocks to communicate something that rocks can't communicate on their own, she has to believe that their, a mind put them there for that purpose. All right, now you're not driving into Minnesota, but you are listening to me right now, and you're not dealing with rocks, but you are dealing with chemical reactions. You've got a bunch of chemical reactions going on in your head right now. And you know what? Those poppings right there, uh, they're just poppings. That's true, they just pop. But you're trusting those poppings to tell you the truth. You're trusting those poppings to tell you that there's a guy up here on stage talking to you right now. You're trusting those poppings to know what I mean when I'm talking about this sentence right now. Right now, you, you, you hear that. You're decoding that. You assume that you know the meaning of those words. You're trusting that those poppings, when you think logical thoughts, when you're evaluating whether you think this argument's valid or not, you're trusting those, those poppings to do what poppings can't themselves do. It's no different than the rocks on the hill. Which means you have to believe that those poppings are for the purpose. They're designed for the purpose of thinking rational thoughts, which is the opposite of being random. There has to be a mind that designed these poppings to allow us to think rational thoughts and to make choices and to, and, and to think logic. Otherwise, we could never be thinking logic or, or, or making choices. You see, following this? Uh, it, 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 
Unless you've got a mind at the beginning, you can't get a mind in the process. If another way of saying that is to say, mind is more fundamental than matter. If you've got a mind at the beginning, you can use matter to bring about more mind. But if, if you've got randomness from the beginning, you're always going to have randomness, because randomness can't possibly produce reason. You can't get reason by accident. You can't, can't get it by... No, it's got to be in the structure of things, or it's not there at all. So folks, it comes down to this, for my, for my two cents. If there's an intelligent God who created us as intelligent beings and placed us in an intelligible world, a world that's got a rational structure, then everything that needs to be explained is explained. There's a mind that's fundamental to everything. And I can now understand why I want to know the truth and, 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 and why I think and why I trust my reasoning. It makes sense of that. It makes sense of why, how I can know the world. You know, Einstein used to wonder about this. How does our brain know the world? How is it, how, he called this the incomprehensible comprehensibility of the universe. The incomprehensible, compre it was incomprehensible to him how we could comprehend the universe. How is that possible? I, I, I've seen the room where he worked out his, his, his uh, uh, general theory of relativity at, at Princeton. And, and, and there's blackboards on all the sides of this room. And, and the, the guy who led us on this tour said he, he would start in one corner of the room every morning and just start doing equations. Just two equations. All. And at the end of the day, if the equations worked, he'd take a picture of them, and if they didn't work, he would erase the whole thing and start over. But what blew his mind was that he was aware that he could predict, on the basis of his mathematical equations, he could predict what you'll find out there in the universe before you found it. So before they knew about how light would bend according to gravity, his theory predicted that it would bend at a certain angle, and it did. And, and, and he predicted that clocks will slow down the faster they're moving, uh, and, 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 and um, uh, the, 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 the more gravity pulls on them. And, and he, all these predictions about what the world's going to be like without even examining the world. He just does it in his room. And he said, this only makes sense. If my mind can comprehend what's out there without even examining what's out there, then there must be a mind out there that's similar to my mind down here. And he, became a, he believed in a higher intelligence on the basis of that. Uh, there's, see, if there's a God who's structured both, now I can know why I, I ask questions, why I want to know the truth, and why we can investigate things, how, how we can find out the truth. But if mind isn't fundamental, if this is simply chemicals popping, if there's just a big bang and blind forces, and then, then, then I can't make sense of anything. In fact, if that's true, then I'm up here burping right now. Rationality is an illusion. Free will is an illusion. Consciousness is an illusion. So determinism makes everything into illusion just for the sake of being able to reduce everything down to chemical poppings. And now you can't even explain how you reason your way down to chemical poppings because if all you got is chemical poppings, you can never reason your way to anything, let alone chemical poppings. So it's, it, it, saws, it saws off its own branch. If you assume that anything makes sense, there's got to be a sense maker. And so it, 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 from where I said. And I admit to you, I'm having a slightly biased perspective, I suppose. But the theistic world makes sense. It makes sense. There's a mind over everything. There's a purpose over everything. And now I can understand why, why we can reason and how we can understand the universe. It, the alternative is simply unintelligible. I can't make sense out of, out of anything. So if I, if I have to bet, and I do, and so do you, we have to bet, where are you going to put, where are you going to put your eggs? How are you going to live? We all have to say we're going to live according to some truth that we can't prove. That's what faith is. I'm going to live as though there is a God because it makes sense to live as though there's God. I haven't quite proven it, but it makes far more sense than believing there's not because if there's not, I can't make sense of anything. So if there's any sense at all, I'm going with God. What about you? All right, would you stand? I want to close with a prayer. 
Uh, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here, and if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, any need whatsoever, come up here, and these folks would love to pray with you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, but maybe there's something I said that tweaked your interest and you want to look into that, come up here and talk to these folks, and they would love to, uh, pray, uh, to explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus. Let's close with one of these, uh, we used to call them Argentinian-style prayers, where I'm just going to, I'll say something, and then you repeat it, all right? And we have this closing corporate prayer. Heavenly Father. We thank you for giving us minds, for giving us brains, for giving us a capacity to think, for giving us a capacity to question, and for giving us a hunger for truth. And thank you, Heavenly Mother, for giving us free will, for not creating us as robots, for giving us lives that are significant and that have moral responsibility. As your people, we surrender our will, and we surrender our minds, and we surrender our purposes over to you, and ask that you carry out, through us, your will, on earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Keep on thinking. Love on your neighbors.